this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 273, and today we are talking about books being released on August 18th, 2020, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Tears of Price, and we're coming to you from BookRiot.com. Hello again. Hey there. How are you? I'm pretty good. Good. It's been really stupid hot here in Maine Ugh. the last few days, but it's about to break. I am feeling the same way in Michigan. I'm currently sitting in a room that has no air circulation because we have to record and we can't have any background noises. So, you know... It's just we're yeah. powering through <laughs> the things that we sacrifice for summer podcasting. <laughs> it's true. I actually I went up into the White Mountains for just a drive the other day, and it was like ninety something here at home. And I was like, I'm going to go into the mountains. It's going to be cooler, and it wasn't even cooler there. I'm like, this is a cheat. Ugh. I feel cheated. <laughs> it's supposed to be cooler. It was actually warmer. I was like, forget it. Turned around, came back, but it was a nice drive. It was pretty. That's good, at least. Yeah, it was a good reminder that, like, the world is out there, you know, because I've been in the yes. house for so long and I'm not supposed to interact with people because I have garbage lungs and all this stuff. So it was it was nice to just, like, get out anyway. <laughs> it's funny how just, like, a simple drive or getting somewhere new, even if you don't, like, come in contact with anybody, can be really, really nice. Um, yeah. I drove to Lake Michigan a couple of weeks ago, just, like, in the middle of the week, and sat on the beach, read for a couple of hours, got the worst sunburn. But it was so nice, because I'm like, this is something new. It's not sitting in my house all day. Yeah, it's good to, like, just get out and stretch your legs, even if there's no one else around. And by stretch your legs, I mean sit in a car until you're all cramped up. <laughs> <laughs> But it was worth it. That's good. So, let's see. Do we have anything else exciting to talk about? I don't know. I don't think so. You have screaming children in the background. I have crying cats. Yes. Um, Not my screaming children. I feel like that's a very important (laughs) distinction. The neighbor's screaming children. (laughs) It's summer. That's what happens. Yes. So, we are going to talk about some great books today. Uh, Before we do that, we are going to hear from a sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of When We Were Silent by Fiona McPhillips. So Louise Manson is the newest student at Highfield Manor, Dublin's most exclusive private school. Behind its granite walls are high-arched alcoves, an oak-lined library, and the dark secret Lou has come to expose. So Lou's working-class status makes her the consummate outsider. That is, until she is befriended by some of her beautiful and wealthy classmates. But after Lou attempts to bring the school's secret to light, her time at Highfield ends with a lifeless body sprawled at her feet. Then, 30 years later, Lou gets a shocking phone call. A high-profile lawyer is bringing a lawsuit against the school, and he needs Lou to testify. Lou will have to confront her past and discover, once and for all, what really happened at Highfield. 
Powerful and Compelling, When We Were Silent, is a thrilling story of exploitation, privilege, and retribution with themes of revenge, love, power, and secrets. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of When We Were Silent by Fiona McPhillips for sponsoring this episode. This episode is sponsored by Lavender Con and Little District Books. LavenderCon, which is just the best name for a book festival, is a new book festival in Washington, D.C. It's presented by Little District Books, which is Washington, D.C.'s all-queer bookstore, both of whom are dedicated to celebrating LGBTQIA plus authors and stories. The festival will feature over 80 authors, including Terry J. Benton Walker, the author of the Blood Debts duology, famed audiobook narrator Natalie Nottis with her debut romance novel called Gay the Prey Away, and Rashid Newson, author of My Government Means to Kill Me. And as I am looking at the website right now, breaking news, I saw a familiar face, and that is Book Riot senior contributor Susie Dumont. I'm so excited to see her name on this list, author of Queerly Beloved and Looking for a Sign. So you have so many great authors to discover at the festival. LavenderCon will feature 20 plus panels with topics for middle grade, young adult, and adult readers discussing romance, fantasy, horror, writing craft, and more. There will be a queer artist market, so you can go nab all of the great art and stickers and pins and handmade goods. The festival is happening June 29th and 30th in Washington, D.C., and you can either grab Saturday, Sunday, or two-day VIP tickets, which come with a few extra perks. Thank you once again to LavenderCon and Little District Books for sponsoring today's show. We hope you make your way over to the festival. Okay, so my first book is so, 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 so good. But I do need to clarify that it was supposed to come out. It was either April or May. It was earlier this year. And so I read it. I think it was actually like the fall of last year. So I'm sorry if I screw up a few of the details because it has been a long time since I read it. But it's so good. I, I got it at the Neba conference which is the new england bookseller association and the rep gave it to me and she said this is like the best new ya fantasy novel of 2020 and she was not wrong it's so good it is called ray bearer by jordan ifuko and it is just this exciting debut ya fantasy novel and i could not stop reading it it was so fantastic it's about a young woman Uh, she's a she's a little girl at the beginning of the book Her name is Teresa, and she lives alone in this sort of sand fortress house, and she has servants, and she has tutors, but no father, and her mother only comes to visit her very occasionally, and she's not even, like, calling herself her mother. She's called the lady, and all the servants and all the tutors are afraid of her, and Part of the reason that Teresa is alone is because she has a special power. If she touches someone or something, she can read someone's last memory or like all of their memories, or she can touch an object and like find out like who made it or where it came from. And so the servants and the tutors are not supposed to lay their hands on her because her mother doesn't want her to know anything. Basically, she does. She just knows that she like lives in this house and she's not allowed to do anything and she's not allowed to play with anyone else and she can see other people going by on the road outside. And she's all by herself, so she keeps trying to, like, run away. And at some point, she realizes, like, she can't get hurt. Hmm. Uh, and so she starts causing all kinds of trouble, like, like frightening the, the servants and the tutors because they're worried they're going to get in trouble with her mother, uh, who only just shows up every once in a while. And she calls her uh, – she doesn't call her Teresa. She calls her maid of me and basically addresses the people around her but doesn't even, like, talk to her. And so when Teresa is seven, she runs away. And she ends up in the woods and she finds out that her father is a 
actual like fairy that her mother interacted with one night she came specifically to the pond where he lived and she called him and trapped him and demanded that she get her three wishes from him and one of them was that they have a baby together and he he was like we can't you know nobody's ever done that before and she's like that's my wish and so she has Teresa and we find out like for very specific reasons that she wanted this baby um, you know, they call her an abomination because she's half human and half fairy, but she doesn't know any of this until she's like seven. And what her mother is doing when, when Teresa is 10, she finds out that her mother has been training her. She needed all this knowledge in order to go before the crown prince in the capital city. She's been getting her ready because her mother, her third wish is for her to kill the crown prince. And Teresa is like, I'm sorry, what? You know, she's like 10 years old and her mother's like... Um, okay, so I'm going to put you in a carriage and you're going to go off and you're going to go kill the crown prince. Bye-bye. Have a nice time. Oh and she's like, what's happening? She doesn't know anything. And the reason that her mother kept her so naive as to what goes on in the world is because she knew that she's originally presented before the emperor and his council of 11. And she knew that if she had like any idea of like what her mother does or who she is, that they'd be able to tell and she would be rejected. So she gets to the capital city and the emperor is the ray bearer and he has a council of 11 they are 11 people who ha all have special talents they're called heroes and they're bound for life they are a family and they share like a mind and they have children together but like they don't interact with anyone outside their group and then it turns out that there's 12 ways that an emperor the ray or the ray bearer can die and one of them is old age, and none of the people outside this group can do anything to the emperor. Only the people within the council can harm him. So, like, he's impervious to injury or anything, you know, except if one of the people of his council betrays him. Uh, and so he has a son, and Teresa is supposed to present herself and become part of his council so that someday when the prince is the ray bearer, because, like I said, the only thing that can harm the emperor is old age. She will be taken into his inner sanctum. And when she gets there, the emperor's council is like, this can't be the lady's daughter. Like, she wouldn't be that stupid to send her, you know. And then they're like, maybe she did send her, like, thinking, but we're on to her. So, like, nothing's going to happen to the prince. So we're just going to take her in because there's no way that her mother would ever, like, send her here to do something bad. So now she's, like, she meets the prince and she meets these other kids who are there to become part of his council. And she's like, I'm not going to kill the prince. I have my own mind. Like, I am going to do whatever I want. You know, and she becomes very loyal and she makes lots of friends and years go by. And, you know, she's got, like, these best friends and she's, she's like, feeling very loyal to the prince and everyone she's with. But her mom, like, seems pretty evil and she's getting really impatient. You know, she's like, I sent you there to kill the prince. You know, like, she gets word to her. And she's like, why haven't you done it yet? She's like, I'm not going to do it. But, you know, her mom's not going to make it easy for her. So it's so good. It's so good. It's sort of like Children of Blood and Bone. It's sort of like reminding a bit of the girl who circumnavigated fairyland and a ship of her own making. Like the the descriptions of like all this different senses, you know, like the smells and the sights. And it's so imaginative. I just, I loved it so much. And I have heard there is a second book coming. This one is called Ray Bearer. It's by Jordan Ifugo, and I just talked about it for a really long time. <laughs>
But <laughs> I loved it. That's totally fine. Well, and I actually just downloaded an uh, audiobook of that one. So I'm really excited to listen to Yay. it now after I heard you talk about it. Because, like, it's interesting how, you know, you can read a book description and you think, like, oh, yeah, that sounds good. And then, like, somebody will summarize it for you in your own their own words. And then you're like, mm-hmm. oh, wait, actually, I need that. So you just did that for me. Thank you. Yay! All right, so my first pick is The Less Dead by Denise Mina. And I picked this one up because I read Denise Mina's Conviction last year, and I loved it. Like, I thought it was just a really great, interesting thriller. And I had actually never read Denise Mina before Conviction, so this is this was my first book by her, even though I've been meaning to go back and read some of her backlist. And so, you know, without having done that deep dive into her backlist, I want to say that The Less Dead kind of feels more similar to her earlier books, where it's set in Glasgow, there's, you know, some darker sort of mystery thriller elements. So this one is about Margot. And Margot is a doctor who is kind of going through a rough time. She's just broken up with her partner. Her mom has recently died. And she just found out that she is pregnant. So she's really not dealing with, like, all of these major life changes particularly well. And she knows that she kind of needs to get her act together. But she's not really sure, like, how to start or where to go. And so she decides, hey, now could be a really good time to look up my birth family. She's always known that she's adopted. And so she kind of have, knowing that she's going to have a baby herself is like, okay, got to find out, you know, who I come from. But it doesn't go exactly as planned because she learns very quickly that her birth mother was actually murdered when she was an infant. She's able to meet her birth aunt who like comes and visits her. And in that first meeting, um, her aunt tells her that, okay, so your mom was um, temporarily addicted to drugs and she was a street sex worker, but she got clean when she found out she was pregnant with you and she had you and then like she was murdered. And also they think that they've caught the guy who did it and he's actually on trial right now and he's being sentenced But I actually don't think he did it. I think it's this other guy who was a police officer, but I don't have proof. And he has been sending me threatening letters for like the last 30 years. So that's kind of a lot. And Margot really has a hard time handling all of this. It's just like way more than what she was expecting. And she also doesn't want to believe that, you know, it's true that her mom's killer could possibly still be at large. However, she almost immediately starts getting threatening letters in under her door. And then there's like weird break-ins into her apartment and she kind of like gets the feeling that she's probably being watched. So against like literally everybody's better judgment in this novel, she starts looking into the murder of her mom, which is linked to a lot of other um, murders of sex workers at the time and just kind of getting into this like darker side of Glasgow's history. So I thought that this was a really interesting book. Um, I think Denise Mina writes, you know, fairly sensitively about the women who did turn to sex work. And she, you know, does try to humanize them and especially people who are struggling with addiction. And I think she also did a decent job of kind of talking about class and privilege as well, because, you know, Margot was adopted. She grew up in a nice middle class household. So completely different from where her birth family is from. And there is that kind of disconnect when she's trying to talk to them and relate to them. There were times that Margot just kind of like really 
I, I mean, I was just so frustrated with her because I felt like she was making one bad decision after another. And it was like, no, don't do that. Don't. Oh, gosh, no, this is going to end so badly. But of course, she has to like make these decisions in order to kind of propel the plot along. And as I was reading, I kind of realized that what's fascinating about this book isn't that it's you know, about a character who has her life together or who makes the best choices or who, like, takes a moment and thinks things through critically. You know, she's in this, like, crisis mode in her life where she has all these bad things that have happened to her and it's almost like she doesn't know how to cope. So she makes some bad decisions based off of, like, her hurt and her desire to, like, feel connection and feel... Like, she knows, you know, the truth about really happened. And, like, honestly, she needs so much therapy. But it's interesting to read how she attempts to reconcile who she thought she was with, like, all of this new information about, like, the family that um, was her birth family. So I think because of that, if you like books that are about morally gray characters and you want like a fairly fast-paced mystery, albeit a little bit dark, then The Less Dead by Denise Mina is a pretty good pick for you. You know, I used to get a lot more frustrated with characters and the choices that they made until one day, like my friend kind of said the same thing to me that, that you said, you know, I was like, why is it that everybody in this episode of the X-Files encounters these bugs and they all die? And then Scully and Mulder encounter them and they don't die. They recover from it. And my friend is like, because if they died, then there would be no more episodes and the show would be over. They're like, they they, it's just, <laughs> they have to like, you know, or else the, it wouldn't propel the story along. And I'm like, OK, OK, that's fine. That makes sense. Fine. You know, like if they didn't make decisions like we don't agree with sometimes, then the story would be completely different. Just be like, oh, well, that's the end. <laughs> Yes, exactly. So, you know, I finally, like, learned to, like, sort of relax about characters and, and what they were doing. And I was like, you just do your thing and I'll try not to judge you. It's fine. <laughs> You're trying not to judge what's happening. <laughs> My next pick is a novel called Betty by Tiffany McDaniel. You might remember that a couple of years ago, I raved and raved and raved and raved and raved about how much I loved her debut novel, which was The Summer That Melted Everything, which is a good title for this summer as well. And this is her second novel. This one is based on the life of McDaniel's own mother, who is named Betty. Uh, it's loosely based on her family. It's set in southern Ohio. It starts out with Betty's mother and her, how she met her father. Uh, her mother was a young woman who was horribly, her father is a horrible abuser. And Betty's mother meets her father, who is Cherokee, and they have an encounter almost immediately after meeting a romantic encounter, and Betty's mother gets pregnant, and so now her father, Betty's mother's father, is enraged and abusive, and Betty's father rescues her and, like, beats the hell out of Betty's mother's dad, which is awesome because he's a terrible man. And and she, you know, she decides to marry him because he, he sort of, like, saves her from the situation. Uh, and they moved back to where her father grew up, and Betty is one of eight children that they end up having. And this is a time, like, this is, like, in the early 20th century when people had a lot of children and they still didn't expect that all of them would make it. And and she has, like, several siblings who die when they are young. And they live in poverty and they are surrounded by violence. Uh, but despite her hard life, uh, Betty fiercely loves her father and her sisters, and she loves the country where they live uh, in southern Ohio. She loves nature, and she loves writing, and she decides she's going to tell the story of her family 
as a way to sort of heal because there is a lot of trauma in their family and a lot of darkness going on. This is a very like hard book to read up times. It's it's very dark. It sort of goes into like bastard out of Carolina territory. It reminds me a lot of Louise Erdrich. Trigger warnings for of violence and abuse and sexual assault, including within a family. But McDaniel is such an incredible writer. I just kept reading sentences over and over again. Like, I could not believe how amazing. And sometimes I'm still, I'll read things and I'll be like, how is it that in all the world, in all the books that have been written, people can still come up with such imaginative ways to say things? Like, her writing is just incredible. And it's a lot less fantastical than The Summer That Melted Everything. Which I know, like, some people were like, well, that wasn't very realistic. But, I mean, I loved that book. Um, And I think that this one is going to win awards. So that is Betty by Tiffany McDaniel. Awesome. So my second pick is something a bit lighter. And it is The Switch by Beth O'Leary. So this is, like, a really charming book that's, you know, not quite a romance novel, but definitely sort of romance adjacent. Um, It's really good for people who, like, you know, romantic, fun books where, you know, nothing really truly bad or horrible or violent happens, although there is grief in this book. So it is about um, Eileen Cotton and her granddaughter, Lena. Um, Eileen is in her late 70s and Lena is in her late 20s. And a year before the book started, Lena's younger sister dies from cancer. And because of this, Lena's been having a hard time coping with the grief. Like she's been having panic attacks at work, which have made it, you know, really hard for her to actually do her job. So her job says, you know what, you've been working really hard. You've been through a lot. We're going to put you on like two months paid leave. Like you just need to take a break. And Lena's really upset about this because like work is how she copes with her grief and she doesn't think that she can last two months without working and so she goes and she sees her grandmother who lives um in northern england in kind of like a rural area this little cute village and she's staying with her grandmother and she kind of finds out that like her grandmother who is like dealing with the fact that her husband of like almost 50 years has recently left her and her grandmother is not super upset about it. Eileen kind of knew that she was not in a happy marriage for most of her marriage. But she's, you know, wishing that she had something exciting. So they hatch up this sort of wild plan that they're going to switch places for two months. And Eileen will go and live in her granddaughter's London flat. And Lena will stay in the village. And they will kind of take care of each other's lives. So... They even switch, like, cell phones, which I think is kind of funny, because I cannot imagine giving up my cell phone to anybody. But that's what they do. And so Lena is, like, going to take care of all of her grandma's projects, and her grandmother's going to go to London, and she's going to try out internet dating and just basically have the sort of youthful adventure that she never got when she was younger. So it's kind of intimidating at first because Eileen feels really adrift in busy London and she's kind of surrounded by Lena's flatmates who are all much younger than her. And internet dating even seems pretty intimidating at first, but very quickly she sort of finds her community and her rhythm and she starts to really enjoy her time in London. And meanwhile, Lena thinks that she can handle all of her grandmother's projects, no problem. But she very quickly puts her foot in her mouth with her grandmother's best friend. And she also finds that it's actually a little bit more difficult than she thought living in the village where her sister died and where her mom still lives. And her mom has been really struggling with her own grief. 
And as a result, Lena and her mom have hardly spoken since her sister's death. And in fact, they, they still disagree on her sister's course of treatment before she died. So that's kind of like this big, you know, unspoken argument that's just waiting to happen between them. But both of the cotton women are really alike in that they are go-getters and they soon kind of have their own big project to focus on throughout the book um, while they're also kind of figuring out what they want in life. And that includes their romantic lives. So I really love it when a book features an older female protagonist. Like we had a whole read harder challenge about this a couple of years ago, just because sometimes those stories are really hard to find. And I thought that this was a really great book that was, you know, half of an older woman's perspective who has seen a lot of life and and who, you know, has been married for so many years and now is looking for a fresh start. And then you have, you know, Lena, who's this London city dweller going to the rural village and just kind of figuring out that like, oh, this is um, this is pretty cool. I actually think I really like it here. And maybe this is where I belong. So I think it's a really fun book. I think it will probably especially appeal to a lot of book clubs because I think that it is a book for a wide range of ages. And it just had some really great, funny, sweet moments. So I have not read this author's first book, which is The Flat Share, which I felt like was really popular last year. But um, now I kind of want to. So again, that is The Switch by Beth O'Leary. All right. Speaking of Switch, I'm going to switch gears now and talk about Ikenga, which is Nettie Okorafor's first middle grade novel. She has written Who Fears Death and Binti. Oh, God, I love Binti so much, and I cannot wait for the series. As well as Akata Witch, which is a YA series. This is her debut middle grade novel. And it's set in Nigeria. It's about a young boy named Namdi, and he lives in a big village with his parents. His father is the chief of police, and at the beginning of the novel... His father has been murdered. Uh, he's No one knows what happened to his dad, just that like they found him and he had been shot. And while they're uh, at the funeral, some of the famous uh, local criminals, they all have like these very colorful names and they're really well known around town and people like avoid them. They sort of like come to the funeral and flaunt it in his mom's face that, you know, because they think someone thinks that they're responsible for his father's death. So it's a terrible scene and... Namdi is very upset about what happens, and he's also very scared because they're there. Um, but he swears that he's going to get his revenge on them someday. He's going to find out what happened to his dad, and he's going to get his revenge. And a year later, he still hasn't found out what happened. His mom, they're now, like, very poor without his father's income, and they're feeling very helpless. And his mother gets mugged by one of these criminals, and Namdi just feels completely helpless. And he's, like, 11 now, and he's so angry. And on the anniversary of the death of his father, they have a ceremony and he's outside his house and he sees a man like standing in their yard and he decides, I'm going to go up to this man and tell him to get lost. Like, I'm tired of being afraid and I'm just going to go tell this guy to get lost. And instead, the guy starts walking and he follows him and it turns out to be the ghost of his father. And his father gives him this magical object, which is called an Ikenga. And when he holds it, like there's all these these things that he has to do. Like he can't breathe when he passes it off to him and he can't hold it with his left hand. You can only hold it with his right hand. But he gives him this magical object and he disappears. And shortly, like a few minutes later, Namdi hears a woman crying for help, like while he's standing there holding this object. And suddenly he grows into like a seven foot man, like with a 
stubble and he's deep voice and he's running and he he rescues this woman his clothes are all in tatters he's sort of like the hulk like he just gets really big and he's like what just happened like he helps this this poor woman who's being carjacked and he's like i don't know what just happened like he thinks he maybe imagined it the first time but it keeps happening and now he's like helping to stop crimes and he's capturing bad guys and this is exactly what he wanted like he wanted to get revenge but slowly as you know he's starts to change and starts to do these things his need for justice also drives his anger and he's sort of like like the hulk he's like becoming angry even when he's not you know hulked out and also the new chief of police in their village wants to arrest him he doesn't want a village a vigilante in their town so he vows to catch him sort of like batman you know and so now namdi is trying to figure out like how to balance the two in his life like does he need to do this you know when when is enough enough and it's it's really good. I really enjoyed having read most everything that Nettie Okorafor has written. I really enjoyed how it, she sort of like effortlessly changed tone. Like you read this and you're like, this is obviously, you know, written for, for children, like for middle grade, like you can tell. And but it's so enjoyable for everyone. It's, you know, middle grades are like that's saying like, you know, 10 to 12. But it is a little scary and there is some violence. Um, so if you have like a sensitive young reader it might you might want to wait until they're older, but it's really great, and I hope that we get to hear more in the middle grade field from Nettie Okorafor. This one is called I Kenga. Also, that's like my third book in a row that only has a one word title. <laughs> but I'm just gonna ruin everything next time, though. Uh, but before I do that, we're gonna hear from our other sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Gallery Books. So Anna Green thought she was marrying Liam West for access to subsidized family housing while at UCLA, which is an interesting reason to marry someone. But, you know, in this economy. So anyway, she signed divorce papers when the graduation caps were tossed and she thought she was done. Eh, she wasn't. Three years later, Anna is a starving artist living paycheck to paycheck while West is a Stanford professor. Now, he is part of a conglomerate. His family owns this mega grocery store chain. He's not interested in working for them, but he is interested in those greenbacks, honey, that come in the form of a $100 million inheritance. To get it, he has to be married for five years. That's where our girl Anna comes back into play. So the two will fake a marriage, but as he gets to know her and gets to appreciate the feisty, foul mouth, paint splattered girl that she is, he'll begin to wonder if the money is worth the love of his life. Pick up The Paradise Problem by Christina Lauren to find out if it is. And thanks again to Gallery Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Hachette Audio. Three years ago, sports agent Myron Balatar gave a eulogy at the funeral of his client, renowned basketball coach Greg Downing. So why, you may ask, is Greg now being placed at the scene of a double, not a singular, but a double homicide? I also wonder. So Greg Downing, who Myron gave a eulogy for, is a suspect and Myron needs some answers. So Myron and Wynn, longtime friends and colleagues, set out to find the truth. But the more they discover about Greg, the more dangerous their world becomes. Secrets, lies, and a murderous conspiracy that stretches back into the past churn at the heart of Harlan Coben's blistering new novel, Think Twice. 
And the audiobook is narrated by his longtime narrator, Steve Weber. Now, if you don't know about Steve, Steve gives each character distinct voices and accents, making this a more immersive listen. Make sure to check out Think Twice by Harlan Coben. And thanks again to Hachette Audio for sponsoring this episode. Okay, so what do you have next? I have a book edited by a book writer with a lot of book riot contributions. So I just want to like get that out there. Full disclosure, my next pick is Body Talk, which is edited by Kelly Jensen, who is um, an editor with us. And two of the contributors in this anthology are actually a voice that you might be familiar with, Patricia LZ Tuttle. She does all the books and all the backlist as well when I'm not here. <laughs> and KYA co-host Eric Smith is also a contributor um, to this anthology. So this is a really cool anthology. It's written, you know, with teens in mind, but I feel like it is so important and so good for people of all ages, really. And it is all about bodies, like the different bodies that we live in and sort of navigate the world in and all of like the weird and wonderful and strange things that our bodies do and you know even the frustrating things that we have to put up with when we have bodies that aren't always perfect so what i love about this anthology is that it's not simply a fat positivity anthology or just like a more general body positivity anthology although it is both fat and body positive but this anthology celebrates bodies while also being super intersectional And I think that's kind of where it starts to go beyond the message of like, oh, you just need to, you know, love your body, accept your body for what it is. And I think that idea is actually best illustrated in um, Patricia's essay, where she talks about the importance of like actually having a relationship with your body and kind of being in touch with your emotions concerning how you feel about your body and thinking about on a more conscious level. And she made a point that I thought was super great where and talking about the societal sort of emphasis on like love and acceptance for our bodies that can actually be like really damaging for people who struggle with you know dysmorphia or people who identify as transgender or non-binary because like it's really kind of horrible and cruel to tell somebody who's trans like oh you know you don't think your body matches who you are on the inside like maybe you just need to try a little bit harder to accept it like no like we don't tell people that that's horrible so Patricia talks a lot about how, like how like the body positivity movement can kind of feel like it's policing your feelings and like it's okay to feel how you feel and you know we don't have to conform to a societal expectation and you know I don't say I don't want to say that she has like the definitive answer on how to love your body because I think that's the point of this anthology which is like sometimes it's hard and it's always a work in progress but I think that what this book does so well is it really starts a lot of great conversations about bodies and how these issues are so much wider and more varied than a lot of like the conventional you know conversation around body acceptance tends to be so like there's everything in here from like personal stories about body hair and dealing with you know chronic pain and you know learning how to love wearing a swimsuit in public but then there's also some really great factual chapters on disability and accessibility health menstruation um penis health like there's actually like a whole Q&A from YA author IW Gregorio 
She wrote none of the above and my brain um, on love. And she is a urologist by day. And so she does this really great Q&A all about like, all right, do you have a penis? Here are some like basic Q&As. And I just I think that this is like such a really great wide ranging anthology with so many good pieces of information and so many great perspectives. And, you know, anthologies tend to sometimes be really focused, which can be a good thing. And I understand why that is. But I actually really appreciate how varied this one is, because I read a lot about bodies that don't look like mine and, you know, people who deal with issues that I don't deal with. And I think it's important to to kind of understand where those people are coming from, what people have to deal with. There's just a lot of really great information. And, you know, I think the dedication really sums up who this book is for, which is for all the people who have ever had questions that they're too embarrassed to ask. This book is for you. And I just really, really enjoyed it. And I promise that I would say that even if I didn't, it was some of the people who helped, you know, write this book and and Kelly who edited it because it was just very informative, very fun, kind of, you know, it had some really good, funny moments, inspiring moments. Um, There's a ton of contributors. I could not even begin to list them all. But Julie Murphy, Amanda Lovelace just a lot of really great YA writers and then some people who, you know, don't necessarily write YA books, but have written stuff um, sort of adjacent and like Tyra Banks has an essay in this too. So it's just really great. And again, that is Body Talk edited by our own Kelly Jensen. Hooray for all of them. I'm so excited to read it. I haven't read it yet, but I have it here somewhere. My last pick today is kind of a downer again. I will say that first I was reading another book for today's show and it was really, really, really good. And then I got to the end and it totally just the ending was horrible. It just biffed it biffed it so hard that I couldn't even recommend it today. And, you know, I don't like to talk about books that I don't enjoy, so I'm not going to tell you what it was called. But one day one of you is going to read this book and figure out what it is. And you're going to say, aha, Liberty. I think I know what book you were talking about because the ending is just so, so bad that I just couldn't do it. So I started reading this other book that I'm going to talk about today. I've only read half of it, but it's really, really good. It's called, and like maybe the ending, you know, I don't know, but I'm going to go with this one. It's Soul Full of Coal Dust, A Fight for Breath and Justice in Appalachia by Chris Hamby. And this is nonfiction. Uh, It's by Hamby, who is a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist. And it focuses on these two men in West Virginia. One of them is John Klein. He is a lawyer. And the other is Gary Fox. He is a minor and he has black lung, which is a lung disease specific to coal miners, which has no cure and is just very like just a horrible, horrible disease. And it's about how there are no real protections for minors. And for many, many years, you know, they have been suffering from this disease. Many of them get it. And it's actually, there's been a huge, like, surge in cases again. And the government has not really done anything. The coal mining companies have not really done anything. And these black lung cases are almost impossible to win. There's just so much red tape. And then even if they do win, it's so hard to get the companies to pay. And it's always like too late for these people. And John Klein, the lawyer, he does nothing but take black lung cases. Like he like feels like he needs to be the person who will like try and fight these almost unwinnable fights for these people. 
So that is his specialty. That's exactly what he does. And so he works with Gary Fox. And it's sort of like this Aaron Brockovich story where he takes on Big Cole and tries to to win this case, to win Gary's case. Um, but there's also all this history about the area and about coal mining and about regulations. It's almost entirely about stuff I had no idea about. It's really fascinating. Of course, it's very sad. You know, this is a horrible disease that affects so many people and nothing is really being done about it. But it's also very interesting and informative and really, really well written. So that is Soul Full of Coal Dust, A Fight for Breath and Justice in Appalachia by Chris Hamby. Awesome. That sounds really interesting. It really is. So my final pick today is one of those books that was supposed to come out earlier this year and then I got bumped, but I'm super, super excited that it is finally coming out. And that is Six Angry Girls by Adrian Kisner. And I don't know if you've read anything by Adrian Kisner Liberty, but she is hilarious. This is her third book. She writes young adult fiction and her YA books are always like really sort of like darkly funny. And they also always have like a social justice sort of slant to them. Um, so I definitely think like Six Angry Girls, if you are somebody who is at all politically active in the year 2020, like you might feel a lot of like catharsis reading this book. So it's a YA novel and it's dual point of view. And it's about Raina, who has always dated Brandon, and they have been together since, like, middle school. And in her senior year, last semester, he, like, dumps her with no warning whatsoever. Just like, oh, hey, I hooked up with somebody else, and now we're dating, and so we're done. And she is, like, crushed, because not only has she like been with this guy for like basically what amounts to like a third of her life because she's a teenager um but she also realizes like after he dumps her that she has kind of consciously and subconsciously made a lot of decisions about her life based off of like what he was doing and what his opinions were and what he thought and she is kind of kicking herself now for doing this so then the other point of view character is Millie and Millie is also a senior and she is somebody who is not like the best public speaker when put on the spot but she is in mock trial and she loves mock trial. She's very good at it. And she is like a very good, thorough researcher. So like if she is given the time to thoroughly prepare, she she does really well. But the boys of the mock trial team sort of pull a dirty trick on her. And the first week back after the holidays, they are like, oh, there are so many people who have signed up for mock trial. Like everybody has to audition for a spot. And even if you're a senior, even if you've been in mock trial, like all four years of high school, like everybody has to audition and it's this brand new case that nobody knows about. And here's the information. Okay, auditions are tomorrow. So Millie completely bombs the audition because she doesn't have the time to prepare. And she's really angry because like they wouldn't be as good if not for her hard work and help for like the first three years of high school. So in a kind of like serendipitous um, twist of fate, Raina and Millie have this encounter in the school bathroom and Raina says something to the effect of like, oh yeah, you know, I'm sorry, my... Oh, and Raina's ex is on the team that like, you know, 
got Millie kicked off. So Raina's like, oh, that sucks. If, you know, you want to ever form your own all-female mock trial team, like, I've got your back. And she's kind of joking, but she's kind of not. And then that's exactly what they end up doing. And so they take on the boys and it's, you know, this team of six angry girls and they've all got something to be angry about, whether it's, you know, sexism, mistreatment, racism, homophobia, like they, they are fired up and they are ready to take on the patriarchy. And they also have like this delightful subplot of knitting. So Raina, after her boyfriend dumps her, she learns how to knit. And in learning how to knit, she also discovers political knitting, which is really fun. There is yarn bombing. It is delightful. This is just really good. Like if you want a funny book, but a book that also doesn't pull any punches, this one is it. So that is Six Angry Girls by Adrian Kisner. I highly recommend it. I also highly recommend Adrian's first two books, Dear Rachel Maddow and The Confusion of Laurel Graham, because they are all so great. I haven't read those. I will have to check them out. So those are our new books. What are you going to read next? I think that I'm going to read Unpregnant by Jenny Hendricks and Ted Kaplan next because it has been on my shelf for like literally over a year. And the trailer for the HBO Max movie just dropped this week and I got really excited and I was like, oh, I haven't read that yet. So I went and pulled it off my shelf and yeah, I think I'm going to dive in. It's really good. Yay. I'm excited to watch the show. I I have so many things to tell you. If somebody said, what does Liberty on a semi-work break look like? It would be uh, reading 18 million books at one time. I've gotten out of control with <laughs> with my little bit of free time here. Um, so first I want to tell you that I read Veritas, which Vanessa talked about last week, which is about the forgery and Jesus's wife. And it was excellent. So excellent. I love a good forging story. And now I'm I'm reading The Last Banner, the story of the 85-86 Celtics, the NBA's greatest team of all time by Peter May, because you might have heard me say this before, I'm obsessed with Larry Bird. But I think I'm going to put it down because I just got Patricia Lockwood's novel that is coming out next February called No One Is Talking About This, and I cannot resist that. So those are the things at the top of my 18 million books that I am reading right now. That is all for today. We talked about books, so I consider this a success. Thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to our awesome audio editor, Jen Zink. You can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com if you want to talk about Larry Bird. I could talk about Larry Bird forever. You could also find us online. Tirza hangs out on Twitter and Instagram at Tirza Price. I mostly hang out on Instagram at Friends and Comes Alive. And if you want to leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, it would be a great treat for us because it helps other book lovers to find us. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And in the meantime, happy reading. Happy reading. Happy reading.